Alright you absolute legends, welcome back to another episode of A Need to Read. It's my pleasure to bring you the conversation that I had with James Nestor today. He's an award-winning journalist and best-selling author of the book Breath, which has proven to be pretty popular, because if there's one thing we all have in common, it's that we breathe. And James puts forward this idea that we've been breathing wrong, and it's having quite severe effects on our health and well-being pretty much everywhere, actually. I'll let him do the explanation in this podcast, but it's a fascinating conversation and I did enjoy reading the book. So if you are one of those people who's interested in breath, get the book. If not, just have a listen to this conversation and see if you can be converted. But before we get into this conversation on the subject of health and well-being, I'd just like to introduce you to the new sponsor of the podcast, Athletic Greens. Now, I started taking Athletic Greens, I'm ashamed to admit, because I'm lazy. I can't really be bothered to cook vegetables, or I couldn't in the past. I'm better at it now. I've grown up a little bit. But Athletic Greens has been there for me for the last couple of years to support me with my nutrition in a way that meant I didn't have to feel guilty about skipping vegetable with my dinner or skipping vegetables with my breakfast. It's just 75 whole food sourced vitamins, minerals, probiotics and adaptogens. It all sounds pretty good, right? You can get that for less than a cup of coffee a day and all you need to do is take a couple little sippies on a little green juice in the morning that actually doesn't taste bad. And that's quite rare when it comes to green juice. Green juice is usually synonymous with tastes like crap. Athletic Greens, that is not the case. They are recommended by so many professional athletes and health professionals. Tim Ferriss even recommended it in his book, The 4-Hour Body, before he was even paid by them. So... He says it all. He's a pretty smart guy. Now, I am a moderately smart guy. You don't have to trust me. You can check it out on their website. But to make it easy, if you are going to go for it, Athletic Greens is going to give you one year supply of immune support in vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you've got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, as well as that, on the subject of sponsors who I'm super proud to be supported by, BetterHelp provide an online therapy service. You might be in need of therapy. I believe a lot of people can benefit from therapy. Talking through to a special specialist or a professional is one of the most profoundly helpful things I've ever done in my life when it has come to the way that I manage my emotions, the way that I speak about the emotions, and just the way that I navigate life. If you are finding things a little bit difficult recently with your mental health, then chatting to a professional is going to be a profoundly good idea for you as well. All you have to do is fill out a quick questionnaire, it'll take you five or ten minutes, and you'll be matched with a therapist within 48 hours, meaning you can be talking to someone within a couple of days. That's pretty ideal, right? Head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read, and you'll also get 10% off of your first month of online counselling and therapy. Links for both of those things are in the description of this episode and you can also sign up to the mailing list or send me an email if you want to send me some praise or a complaint or, I don't know, just a picture of your dog. Who cares? The email is there in the description. You're all absolute legends. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. James Nestor. I wanted to start this off not on the book that we probably will spend most of this conversation talking about, but on a book that you'd written in 2014 and won a load of prizes, the book Deep. Because free diving is something that I I tried out last year and I just found it so fascinating, something that seemed so 
naturally unnatural to be sort of so deep underwater what was the process of writing that book and, and just a little bit about that book as well I think that a lot of people either state that they have a process or they they fake that they have a process and I'll just be blunt I have zero process so I'm thrown into projects different subjects uh, pretty randomly I just keep my feelers out all the time and when something interests me I go in a little deeper and if it becomes more interesting then I'll go in even deeper than that yeah and so that's what happened with this book and actually this is exactly what happened with with my book after that breath is that I was sent by outside magazine to write about the world freediving championships and I had never freedived I uh, have grown up by the ocean been a surfer my whole life but there's just no freediving out here so I had never seen anything like that and when I saw what these people were capable of doing and doing over and over again, it just completely blew my mind. Uh, on one hand, it's that we were so naturally adapted to go so deep in the water. On the other hand, that I'd never heard of this before. And what they were doing was supposed to be impossible. And you even hear that today. People say, oh, you can't do that. Oh, no, there's an oxygen tank down there. You need to do your homework. And, and as you know, as if you're a free diver, if there were an oxygen tank down there, everyone would die if they took a hit off of it. So the yeah. only way the, the body can withstand it is, is through the natural human body and all these different mechanisms. So it, it really intrigued me. And I explored it after that article uh, much deeper. And I realized that maybe there was a longer, larger story to be told. Yeah, for sure. And what were the depths of, of the people at these World Freediving Championships? Because when, when I did my course, I think they speak of a Russian guy whose mum was like a super successful freediver. Going down to like a depth, is it 160 metres is like the world record or something? Yeah, Alexei was there, actually. I mean, th this is the, the top divers in the entire world, the, the yeah. best divers that have ever existed. And I say that because they just keep breaking records. Yeah. And, and so at when I was there, it, there are so many different disciplines. This is where it gets really confusing. So there is a discipline without fins where it's just you. It's, it's just, just your natural body, nothing else. You can't use anything else. Then there's one with fins. Then there's one with weights. And, and so obviously with fins, you're going to be able to go a little deeper. But people are going past 300 feet. I think 330 feet, if I'm not mistaken, was that's where things were were topping out there so which is what 100 104 meters uh, yeah. 105 some something like that um and so uh, you know uh just seeing this happen over and over again not everyone made the dives which was so horrifying to see that so it wasn't like some rosy beautiful thing every time it was also you know, Icarus was on display there. These people were yeah. just, were, were literally coming up dead and had to be resuscitated. And I thought, this is Jeez. awful and, and beautiful at the same time. Yeah. And have you, have you tried your hand at it yourself? Have you, have you had, had I, a good go? What, what, what's the depth of, of, of your free diving? Not at that competition, even though I had a lot of offers. I said, there's no way I'm, sure. I'm going to do this. Yeah, no, no, thanks. Don't need any any blood on my face. But I was lucky enough to meet a bunch of freedivers who understood that this wasn't a sport, that freediving was this 
natural meditation that you do underwater, that it was a yogic practice. And it was that side of free diving I got much more interested in. And I had no intention during the course of writing this book to learn how to free dive, but they kind of called BS on me. They're like, what, you're going to write this, this book and free diving isn't the whole story. It's maybe a quarter of the book and you're not going to free dive. And they, they thought that was ridiculous. And, uh, I agreed with them. So I learned how to do it. It was the psychological part of it. That was the hardest, you know, the, the physical parts easy, but getting your mind past holding your breath for so long and, and understanding that you can actually do that was, was the most difficult part. Yeah, for sure. And what, what were the benefits you found like physiologically from, from going down to sort of depths that people would usually be quite shy of going down to or feel is, is out of their limits? Well, the most wonderful thing about freediving, actually, it's not the most, one of many wonderful things about freediving is it is a forced meditation so you can't do it if you're anxious you can't do it if you're panicky you can't do it if you're stressed out you can't force it and so you have to completely let go if you're going to get to any reasonable depth you have to let go and let the ocean really be in control and so allowing yourself to fall into that space knowing that you're going to have a terrible day in the ocean if you don't chill out and let go and stop thinking about work emails and stop thinking about traffic coming back and start thinking stop thinking about all that crap and just sort of be there in that moment and so that's you know it's a very zen activity and i think that carries over into the rest of your life not all the time but you you have it there as a tool when you need it yeah yeah for sure because it's uh, i'm going to keep relating back to the time that i i gave a go i um i was in terrible humor at the time a friend of mine had just died of covid and i, I went down to 20 meters it nothing further than that on on the first couple of days of of my course and just being at that depth on, on one breath i felt this moment of clarity that I couldn't quite explain. I, and I don't think language would do it justice, but it, it's, it's such a strange feeling. It, it's kind of like being in space or what I would imagine being in space is like is being that deep underwater where your body wants to sink. Yeah. And I, I think that it's so few opportunities we have throughout the day. I don't know about your life or your listeners lives, but you know, so much of my life is just sheathed in, crap I don't want to be doing you know insignificant yeah. crap just to get through the day to keep the house you know in order to keep yeah. your work in order to keep the inbox from from overflowing to to sate your agents to, to all of this stuff and so having to let that stuff go which is really difficult at the beginning it's really difficult for a lot of people and to just be laser focused on your own body and your place in the world at that time is something that is so nourishing and i wish i could find the peace i get free diving on land i haven't quite gotten there yet but yeah. uh, that's why i keep going back to the ocean it's my favorite place to be yeah, it's, so, it's something super humbling about it. Um, but so I'm, so I'm glad I touched on that. I haven't actually read the book yet, but I'm I'm really excited to get into it because I love books written by journalists who actually explore a topic and, and like you say, go deep into it. Um, and, and that book obviously was kind of like your, your gateway drug to breath, <laughs> as it were. 
It was because learning how to free dive, you have, first and foremost, you have to learn how to breathe. You can't do one without the other. So to hold your breath for five, six, seven, eight minutes, you know, the record's 12 and a half minutes, you have to understand how to use your lungs. You have to have a large lung capacity. You have to tolerate carbon dioxide a lot better than other people. And you have to become fully conscious of your breathing. So I kept hearing these stories from free divers about how, yeah, you know, you learn this art of breathing and you can use it to free dive. But they said, that's just one little part of this. You can actually use your breathing to heat your body up. Uh, you can use your breathing to heal yourself of uh, plenty of chronic maladies. And as a science journalist, of course, I thought this was complete BS until yeah. I collected about 300, 400 scientific studies. I was just finding them and reading them and realized that there was a larger story to be told about our breathing, this, this seemingly mundane thing that we just do all our lives and never really pay attention to it. And it's, it's not so mundane. It's at the core of our health and to a certain extent, our lifespan and happiness. Yeah, for sure. It seems like one of those things that it, it is so seemingly simple that it drops into people's blind spots. So for your your average person out there, probably breathing like a normal person does, and, and maybe they haven't read breath, what is it that most people are doing wrong with the way they're breathing? I think the biggest thing that people are doing wrong is they are not aware of their breathing, sometimes throughout their entire lives. And we have this wonderful ability, humans do, dolphins don't have this ability, they have to, every breath they take is conscious, but humans are able to breathe unconsciously. So we don't have to think about it. And what a relief that is, we breathe 20,000, 25,000 times a day, we don't have to think about it. But if we're breathing in a dysfunctional way, our bodies will start showing some of the symptoms of that, they will start suffering from the effects of this dysfunctional breathing and we'll try to address those symptoms without addressing the core problem and the core problem is your breathing is wrong and if your breathing is wrong you will never ever be healthy and it's not just asthmatics or people with emphysema or copd or anything that are breathing incorrectly it's the vast majority of people on this planet and people say well, that's impossible. I'm alive. I'm here breathing, but compensation is different from being healthy. You know, you can stay alive eating 20 cookies every day, but you're not going to be healthy. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be a beautiful life? Um, and you can do that and it will be delicious, but give it a week and your body will start breaking down. And that's what we're seeing all over the world right now. People breathing so dysfunctionally and their bodies are breaking down. Okay. And just before we touch on the dysfunctional breath, it's what are the most common health implications that, that you saw through the data points? Cold fingers, cold toes, respiratory disorders, increased risk of heart disease, increased risk of diabetes, periodontal disease, ADHD. I could keep going, high blood pressure. I mean, wow. how, how you breathe affects every system of your body. And if you're breathing in a way that is not efficient, 
your body will survive. We have evolved to have these wonderful bodies that can survive through so much abuse, but you will suffer. And that's what we're seeing. So what is the technique of, of breathing that seems to sort of show the most benefits for people? And, and are these health implications reversible? Well, I wish questions. <laughs> sure. I wish that there was some patented magical way of breathing that will cure everyone of everything. But of course, there is not. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. The most effective and transformational ways of breathing are the ways that our body is naturally designed to breathe. So there's no hocus pocus here. You are designed to breathe. Your body is designed to breathe in and out through the nose. And if you are an obligate mouth breather, you will never be healthy. Uh, I can give you a whole bunch of reasons and explanations, but that's really the first thing. You have to breathe the majority of the breaths. It doesn't matter if occasionally you're breathing through your mouth, who cares? The majority of your breaths need to be in and out through the nose, period. And the majority of people are mouth breathers, either during sleep or in the daytime or while exercising. After that, it gets easier. You breathe slowly. You breathe less. You breathe in a rhythmic pattern. None of these things should feel forced. This is what we're naturally designed to do, which is why if you look at a healthy infant, look at how fluid and beautifully they breathe down and uh, sinking their diaphragm down, down into their abdomen. Look at a sleeping dog. Look at a lion in the wild. Look at a monkey. Look at 5,400 other different mammals. Yeah. They breathe beautifully and we're a disaster. Okay. So you mentioned a few animals there and I definitely remember there was a part of the book where you mentioned the, the rate of breathing and, and how we differ from animals that have a longer lifespan than us and, and, and those that have a shorter lifespan than us. Would you mind sort of expanding on that and, and explaining that for the listeners? Well, it's fascinating to think that most animals get about 1 billion heartbeats. Okay, that's, that's how it works out, which is why mice will live to be about three, two to three years old, and their hearts are beating at, you know, something like 200, 300 beats per minute, whereas a blue whale its heart will be beating at, at what, 30 beats, 40 beats per minute, and it, and it lives to be 90 years. So this does, it's not, this isn't a perfect chart, yeah. but most animals adhere to that, that chart. And breathing also adheres to that chart. So right now, if you were to slow down your breathing, guess what happens? Your heart rate goes down. Okay. This is not a placebo effect. This is a physiological response to your breathing. And so if you think about it that way, we know that if your heart rate were every 20 to 30 beats, your heart rate increases at rest, you are more apt to die within something about 20 years earlier than you would otherwise. So, so heart rate is directly correlated with, with health and with lifespan. And again, this isn't all true all the time, but just we're talking yeah. generalities here. So if you are breathing through your mouth and if you're breathing too fast, and if you are stressed out and your heart rate is jacked your whole life, science says you will live a shorter life. Yeah. 
And you can look at different animals, different sizes has to do with a lot of this has to do with lung size as well. But yogis have said, BKS Iyengar has said, a yogi's life is not measured by his years, but by his breaths, by breathing slower, breathing more fluidly, your body can operate more efficiently. Okay. I definitely, I definitely remember that part in, in the book and that, and that precise quote about the, the life is measured by the amount of breaths. And when, when I first read the book, I definitely taped my mouth overnight. Cause I think obviously the night it, it makes up for a lot of our time where we're not really going to be in control of whether our mouth is open or not. So taping it shut seemed like a good idea at the time. And it's something I've fallen out of the habit um, of, but what's the implications in sleep if I don't know if it would, would you recommend everyone tapes their, their mouth shut? And obviously what, what are the implications if they don't, if they're mouth breathing overnight? Well, about 60% of us, that's an approximation, breathe through our mouths at night. And we know that the pathway through which you take in air while you're sleeping affects the quality of your sleep. It affects how susceptible you may be to snoring and even some forms of sleep apnea. So it makes a huge difference to your general health. And the majority of us are doing this wrong. We're, we're breathing through our mouths. So I don't care how you do it. If you want to use sleep tape, if you want to use a chin strap, if you want to use whatever else, you have to learn how to breathe through your nose at night. And it takes a long time to get there can take a couple weeks it's really uncomfortable you feel ridiculous using a little piece of tape but track your sleep track the quality of your sleep and <laughs> look at what happens i've never seen anyone and hundreds and hundreds of people have sent me their data on this that has had a decrease in the quality of sleep from converting to nasal breathing you will benefit maybe you'll benefit a little bit and maybe you're sleep will be completely transformed. And I've seen that plenty of times more often than not. So there's different ways of doing this. I'm not here to endorse any products. I'm not here to endorse any particular method, but you have to find a way of becoming a nasal breather during sleep. Okay. That's very interesting because there's two things there. I've, I've just gone ordering so I can track my sleep. And another thing mm -hmm. is I've been sleeping like shit because I just come back from Mexico. So this is quite a good opportunity for me to probably see some pretty impressive results if I start taping my mouth shut. So I'll um I'll I'll see how this goes. It's it's um it, the only thing that frustrated me last time was was just getting rid of the the little bit of mustache that I had. Without that was seemed to be the only problem. Um, so I guess it may be a chin strap and and a different method would be worth trying. Um. Oh. I got some ideas for you. I have a, I have a beard. Okay. I have a full beard. <laughs> you do not need to tape on your face at all. This tape just goes on your lips and everyone, no one's grown a beard on their lips that, that I'm aware of. <laughs> so you're just putting a little bit of tape on your lips and that's how you do it. Okay. I realize it sounds like I'm just scolding you and scolding the, <laughs> hey. the listeners here. I'm just, don't do that. Don't, why would you want to do that? Listen, I want to be very clear. Anyone can do whatever the hell they want. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm just telling you a few things that I learned along the way, working with <laughs> breathing experts. 
transform my health. And uh, I've heard this from so many other people as well. The science is very clear. So I won't scold anymore. I will offer suggestions. <laughs> I scold away. I, I, I'm in that position of I want everyone in the world to just read books because I, I think it's life-changing just following your genuine sort of curiosity and, and reading as broad as possible but for you to spend so much time around the data it must be like guys it's your fucking breath come on like you yeah. have to do this all day every day let's sort it out so i well, i get it and how many times you had these conversations over the last couple of years when was the book guys 2020 yeah i came out um you know, uh, it, because I planned this, I worked on this book for what five, six years straight, and it so happened to come out within six weeks of a pandemic that affected the respiratory system and people's yeah. ability to breathe. I got actually some flack when the, when the book came out. Uh, people said, really? "Oh, it's really, really convenient. Uh, you're <laughs> very entrepreneurial to write this book real quick." I'm just like, dude, this shit was printed in December of 20. 19 it was in a warehouse like what are you talking about but that's why you don't go on the internet everybody don't read comments from anyone anytime <laughs> don't go on like read a book that's where exactly. you want to be and exactly. i just i want to mention one other thing if anyone is saying yeah this guy is completely full of shit that's cool don't believe me but i put on my website the entire bibliography of the book because I knew people were going to have a hard time believing this. It's about 400, 500 scientific articles with videos, data sheets, and all that for free for anyone to go look at. So if you don't believe me, uh, you can go check out what the experts in the field have been saying for more than 100 years. That is what I love about science writers is you're just so thorough. Because I guess, did you have a background in science before you were like a science journalist? Uh, well, I... I didn't, but I had a background in magazine writing. And what I learned is that if you get one tiny little thing wrong, even yeah. if you use the word very, a very rare species of shark, yeah. okay, it is the only thing you will hear from years and years from marine biologists. They're actually a rare species of shark. They are not very rare. I mean, th this is... This is our reality. So that's why we had two, three fact checkers on this book. That's why I had several doctors read it. I went through it line by line because people want to tear about, apart your, your argument. They yeah. want to tear apart your work because they, if it's someone, <laughs> someone, well, they're bored, they're pathetic. But uh, <laughs> if they, they want to have this, Everyone wants to feel superior in some way. And they want to say, oh, I found the one little thing because I'm actually smarter than you and you use very rare species. And it's not because I've been studying this for 30 years. So it's a tricky balance. I try to stay out of that fray. But what I want to do more than anything is just tell very honestly what I found in this world and let the professionals, the real scientists, do the talking and I want to be a filter. I don't want to have opinions. I want to be a filter to what the science says. And I try to do that. And uh, that's all you can do really. I think you do an all right job. I think the success of the book speaks for itself and, and you're never going to be able to please everyone. And those bored individuals, especially you must've invented COVID like they, 
they're going to come after you. It's, it's one of those things. But obviously, it took some time writing this book. What was the most difficult part to navigate or the most shocking part, I should say? The most difficult part for me was to first understand and then to accept that what I had learned about evolution was completely wrong. And okay. what, I'm, what I mean by that is I had always learned that life forms are growing stronger, living longer, getting better. It's this thing called natural selection. And there's this guy, Charles Darwin, in 1859, released this book called Origin of the Species. So that's what I've heard. And I think most people have heard that. That's not how evolution works. And that's not what natural selection means. So natural selection is just choosing traits to make a life form that is good enough to pass on their genes. Okay. Yeah. That's it. This is not survival of the fittest. Those things get always convoluted. So once you understand that, you can start to understand what happened to human breathing and human health, because what happened is we are not getting stronger we're not even living longer than we were 20 years ago. We are getting sicker and more overweight and more diseased. And that is not progress. It's evolution because evolution means change over the time. Yeah. But it's not progress. And so evolution and progress are two totally different things. And that took me a while uh, to convince myself that what these experts in the field you know, had been writing about, and no one had been listening to them, was right. And once you understand that, a bunch of things sort of come into place, at least in, in, in my view of how we're progressing or digressing as a species and how we can help turn that around. Wow. I bet that was existential crisis time. Like shit, I can't trust anything. <laughs> well, well, it was because in this, this started with me seeing all of these ancient skulls I mean, skulls from Africa, South America, North America, Polynesia, Melanesia, Southeast Asia. I mean, I could go on all over the world. All of our ancestors had perfectly straight teeth. They all had straight teeth. And straight then I looked in the well. mirror. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't fake teeth. People didn't have. I mean, that this is what's what's so so crazy is we have been told that we are the optimum version of our species right now. And when you look at our teeth, you can so obviously see how incorrect that is. So the vast 90% of us have some sort of crookedness in our teeth that didn't exist a few hundred years ago. So you're like, well, what the hell happened? And how can we reverse this? And it's those, those questions and that realization that really sort of kicked my butt. I would try to explain this to my agent and editor and they would call BS on me. They're like, what are you talking about? Our ancestors had straight tooth. That, that's a lie. You need to go into that deeper. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. So that's what made this book so hard is you're, you're breaking down conventional wisdom with, with real science and people don't want their bubbles burst. I guess, I, I guess that is... The, the sign of a good nonfiction book is, is one that kind of goes against the norms and it, and it 
brings out these counterintuitive points. I, I was actually just reading Humankind by Rook uh, Bregman, and and in that he's talking about Neanderthals, like found found in Germany, and and his hypothesis is essentially that it wasn't survival of the fittest; it was survival of the friendliest. Is that we learned to kind of like work together and be friends, and and there was some kind of miscommunication between the other homo species that that haven't survived like we have well i think this ties it ties back to colonialism i mean is is what it does it's like oh we are the we are chosen by god to take over this country because we are better and so then you can start ramping that up in various ways and justifying where you are in this this state of time it's much wimpier to say survival of the friendliest i, I mean that, that that's not that doesn't make that wouldn't really charge up a bunch of crowds right that wouldn't charge up an army to be like we're gonna go out and be super friendly and take over the world like like people are aggressive they want to destroy shit which is you know what has led us into the modern world here so i think that's an interesting point and i do not try to find things where I can counter, you know, and just, I'm not specifically looking at things that will upset people's preconceived notions. I have no interest in that. Yeah. Uh, but if that's what the science says, I'm also going to tell that story straight up and be like, what you learn, what I learned was totally wrong. Here's why. Go ahead and challenge it. But these are the facts. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. Um, th there's another, there's an analogy in the book that I really liked, and it's the boat analogy when it comes to breathing. Would you mind expanding on that? So when a lot of people think about their breathing, they think that more breathing is better. And it's better because, well, I get more air in my lungs. And when I get more air in my lungs, I get more oxygen. And I have more oxygen and I have more energy. I can do more things. The opposite is happening. And so an analogy you can think of is imagine being in a boat and going across a lake. You need to get from one side to the other. With the oars, you can paddle in these very short, choppy strokes, and you will make it to the other side of the lake. You're going to show up. You're going to be really tired. Your arms are going to hurt, but you will make it over there. Or you can take very fluid, soft strokes, very long and fluid strokes. You can probably take 75% fewer strokes and get over to the other side of the lake with less energy and much quicker and more efficiently. So we have this big piston in our bodies. It's called the diaphragm and it sits underneath our lungs because our lungs don't do anything. They're just two fleshy bags yeah. to get that air in and out. That's what the diaphragm, this piston pumps up and down. And most people take these very short, <laughs> sharp breaths, which causes them to breathe far more than they need to. And they use far less air because most of that air is not entering the lungs. So what you want to be doing is breathing less air, fewer breaths, but more efficient breaths. And that's what breathing through your nose helps you do. And that's also what training yourself to breathe more slowly and rhythmically will allow you to do as well. Okay. And, and on the flip side of, of the slow breaths, there are, there are people like Wim Hof out there. And I think you, you mentioned you can sort of cure 
some like illnesses and ailments and, and i've definitely seen wim wim hof speaking of this before is is there much validity in that on if so like where where is that coming you know from? when i'm you know when i mentioned this book was a total pain in the ass to write uh here's <laughs> here's another reason why so you learn from researchers down at stanford and harvard all these other people i talk to you learn about the beauty of these slow nasal breaths and how nourishing it is for the body and that you should always be breathing this way. And then you see Wim Hof in a freaking pool of ice <laughs> for two hours, just going, <laughs> not suffering from frostbite, not suffering from hypothermia. It's supposed to be medically impossible what he does. And yet there he is doing it all the time. So who's right? Is Wim Hof right? Or are these slow breathers right? And the answer is, everybody's right. It depends what you want to use your breathing for. So people only see Wim when he's on stage and he's shirtless and he's yelling at you. That breathe, everybody, go for it. Let's hold yeah. your breath. Yeah, breathe a lot. You're not seeing Wim the other 23 and a half hours of the day. And guess how he's breathing? Extremely slowly through his nose. He hums a lot. He is the most chill breather, but that's not very sexy. I know Wim. I've talked with him numerous times. We've been on the same shows. Amazing like guy. He's, he's done so much to bring breathing awareness to people. His system of breathing, which is actually thousands of years old. Don't tell anyone that. Uh, he's the first to admit it, by the way, uh, is extremely effective. It's also designed to be used for a very short amount of time just like lifting weights. Do you want to lift weights 24 hours a day to see how your body, <laughs> how your body is after that? Or do you want to lift weights for 20 minutes a day, right? And see what the benefits you get from that. So we can force ourselves to breathe too much, hyperventilate ourselves. It's completely therapeutic uh, to our bodies, to our brains, to our psychological state and more. But they're two different things. One's habitual breathing. The other is an exercise, an intense exercise at that. And, and that would lead me on to like other sides of breath work because I've, I've done breath work when I lived in Bali and I've, I've done one of my friends, Jamie Clements, has been on the podcast um, a couple of times actually to talk about breath work. I've, I've, I've done it in a sense where I was like, I breathed for about 45 minutes and then it felt like I'd done DMT for about two minutes, which was great. And then... I've done other breath work where I had to meet my inner child and, and it was like a healing breath work, which I'm like, I'm, I'm not really into that kind of stuff, but like, I tried it. How does breath work tie into this? And, and is there much science behind breath work that you've seen for so healing and consciousness sort of altering states? If you have someone who's very old, if you have someone with asthma or with emphysema or even severe panic, the last thing you want to do is have them breathe Wim Hof breathing or have them breathe this really turbo holotropic breath work. It will yeah. completely turn them off from breath work. It may cause more damage than it will cause good. And it's a terrible idea. So for populations of people like that, start slow. They really like the touchy feely, you know, there's a harp in the background and yeah. You know, there's, you, you put a sage. crystal on, on your sage, you've got incense, 
you've got really cute yoga pants on, you know, the, everything's working out for you beautifully, brand new yoga mat. That's cool to do that. And people really get benefit from that. If you're like most dudes, you're going to be sorry to, to generalize. It's kind of true. You're going to be bored out of, out of your mind doing that. So that's why so many dudes, especially dudes in their 20s and early 30s, gravitate more towards Wim Hof method and these aggressive breathing methods because they want to push it, push the envelope, you know, all yeah. the time. And that's what these breathwork methods do. And the dirty little secret of Wim Hof method and Sudarshan Kriya and holotropic breathwork is it gets you so brain numbingly high and it allows you to stay in that state and to control it once you get better at it for a really, really long time. And the great thing is there's no side effects. When you come out of it, you are just glowing, good vibes all around. And usually that lasts for a few days after. So it, it just depends. I'm not here to, to scold you. I'm not here to tell yeah. you, you need to do this one or that one. What do you want out of, out of breathing? What are you looking for? And then you find the breath work that's right for you. Okay. And what is it that makes people go to these sort of like altered consciousness states or this like high feeling? What, what is it about these breathwork sessions that makes people feel so good? Well, we know most of what is happening and most of what is happening is the opposite of what most people think it is. People say when you hyperventilate like this, you are super oxygenating your body. I've heard this from a zillion times. Yeah, I think these, I have as well. <laughs> these people don't bother to look at basic biology. When you are hyperventilating, you are denying your body oxygen, which is why your hands will grow numb. Your feet will feel numb. You'll feel this lightness in your head. You are causing vasoconstriction in your blood vessels and denying oxygen to those areas, which is great for a short amount of time. This can be extremely therapeutic. A lot of psychologists and psychiatrists think that your brain uses this as a reset. You kind of short circuit it for a while and then it can reset and start functioning more normally, which is why these same breathing methods have been around for thousands and thousands of years. But where this gets really cool is the stuff we still don't know. How is it that Tumo monks up in the Himalayas can lower their metabolic rate by 60%? That's much slower than someone in a coma. Wow. But they are conscious and they can increase their body temperature by 17 degrees. How is that possible that breathing can do that? Here's sorry, a, a reduction. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. So, a, a reduction yeah. in their metabolic rate. Yes. Yeah. Lower than in, anyone, anyone has ever seen. No one has ever recorded a metabolic rate of, of someone who is conscious at that low. And yet, their extremities, they measured the temperature in their extremities went up 17 degrees. So this is uh, Harvard Medical School. Herbert Benson is the one who conducted this study. It was published in Nature, the most esteemed scientific journal out there. And that's why these monks can go out into the snow using their breath 
and they can melt a circle around themselves over the course of eight hours and then walk back in the monastery and get back to work. We still don't know what the hell they're triggering in their bodies. We can't measure it. And to me, I don't find that depressing. I find that so exciting with all the different measurements and machines that we have. We still don't know the untapped potential of our bodies. Yeah, that is fascinating. I'm going to have to go down a YouTube rabbit hole on that after this Check. conversation. You can put, <laughs> put on Tumo, Tumo Monk's Herbert Benson. It will come right up. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. So let's, um, let's before, before we wrap it up today, let's, let's have a chat about anxiety and breathing because I think that's a common thing and a lot of people struggling with their breath is usually when they're maybe pre-panic attack or their breath's getting a little bit short. Uh, how... From, from the literature, like what's it pointing towards for, for breathing, for anxiety? Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself, what's the cause of the anxiety? What's the cause of the panic when you have those attacks? So luckily, scientists have asked themselves this question, and they've looked Good at people who, yeah, I know, it's nice <laughs> to, to show up and do the research. <laughs> And what they found, if you're looking at anxiety is much more generalized as various forms of anxiety. If you're looking yeah. at panic, a form of anxiety, what they found is these people across the board have much lower carbon dioxide levels than someone who doesn't suffer from anxiety and panic. And it's the same thing with people suffering from asthma. So what happens when you breathe too much? You know how we were talking about over-breathing, denying yourself oxygen. When you breathe too much, you offload too much CO2. Guess why these people have low CO2? Because they're over-breathing. They're in this state of constant. <sighs> and guess what happens? They can identify a panic attack an hour before it comes on by looking wow. at their breathing. And when they see that CO2 going up, right? Or going down and they see the breathing rate going up, they, they can see that something is going wrong. And when you start over breathing, when you get anxious, <laughs> you are just gonna exacerbate that vasoconstriction and all of that tension. And so the worst thing you can do if you're about to have a panic attack or an anxiety attack is to, hey, just take a few big, deep breaths, man. Just sit there. Just breathe, bro. That is yeah. the worst thing you can do. You have to stop, get control of your breathing, breathe very slowly through your nose. Okay. That's how you get rid of an attack. So I'm not saying this is going to work with everyone with anxiety or with panic or with asthma. Yeah. But this, was, this is one of the major triggers. And it is interesting that these populations all have the same thing in common because they're over-breathing all the time. And when you look at the studies of where they have just corrected breathing, no drugs, no potions, no powders, nothing else. They've just corrected breathing. It is the most effective therapy for both of those conditions over anything else. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. It's just hard yeah, to train. It's hard to, <laughs> it's a lot. And, and pe pe people say, well, why isn't everyone doing this? 
it's it's much easier to take a pill and and uh yeah. those pills work by the way they, they absolutely work are they fixing the core problem not at all but they, they're absolutely fixing the symptom for at least the next hour or two <laughs> you know and that works for a lot of people and, and good for them but you know i want to explore things for people who want to help themselves in other ways what what does the science say and i was absolutely flabbergasted by how much science there was supporting this and yet no one seemed to be talking about it and so i had to go pretty deeply into that field as well yeah that's that is amazing so the the whole like when, when you see people having panic attacks they're breathing into one of those little paper bags is that that is not a good thing to do it is or are you actually getting a little bit of more carbon dioxide into you i suppose and you, raising those levels you are you are so the the principle behind that is correct what you're doing is you're trying to use the bag to breathe more slowly and to recycle your carbon dioxide to create that vasodilation okay but i've talked to various doctors about this a bunch of er doctors my brother-in-law is an er doctor and they say don't freaking do this and the, <laughs> the reason is so many people who have suffered from heart attacks or other issues have been given paper bags to breathe into. And that is the worst thing for them. <laughs> Plus you have to carry around a paper bag all the time. I don't know who wants to do that. We yeah. are gifted with this thing called a nose and a brain and lungs and lips. You don't need a paper bag. What you need is to understand and acknowledge and to use breathing techniques that you can carry around with you all day long, all night long, and, and use them at any time you need. Okay. So one final question. I already know the answer. It's one of the main things that has lived in my head rent-free ever since I read the book. But the optimal breathing rate for people to aim for, to, I suppose, consciously try and adopt, what is it? It depends on who you are. <laughs> it depends on where you are. It depends on what you're doing. Uh, so if at rest, a very efficient breathing rate would be in the neighborhood of eight to 12 breaths per minute. If you can lower that a little bit, even better, it appears that that will only have benefits to you. Infants breathe way more. Kids breathe way more because they need more oxygen, the higher metabolic rates. So don't train your infant to do this. You know what? They don't need to be trained to do this because they're born with this ability to do it naturally. We only get screwed up when we start sitting up and going to school and working in offices. So if eight to 12 is a good range, right now what is considered normal is 12 to 20, which is insane, by the way, because 50 years ago, eight to 12 was considered normal and some, somehow double that is now considered normal. So if, if you're breathing upwards to, I would say 15, 16, 17, 18 breaths per minute, that's way too much. The great thing is once you acclimate your body to do this consciously, you will unconsciously start doing it. Sometimes that takes a couple of weeks. Sometimes it takes a couple months, but you, you will actually change what you're comfortable with breathing, but it will take a little time. It'll take a little effort. So what's, what's equally as important is breathing volume as well. So most of us breathe too much and we breathe a smaller volume. So by breathing more, larger volume, 
fewer breaths. It's much more efficient. And uh, you can look at your blood pressure before and after breathing in this healthy way. You can look at your heart rate variability and you can see within a couple minutes what happens to your body. Wow. I got a lot of self-experimentation to do. I'm looking forward to checking my aura ring diligently throughout <laughs> throughout the day when I when I remember to um breathe properly. Have you have you got anything coming up? I know this book, are you still doing PR for this? Is is there any other projects on the way? Yeah, I've actually had a, another idea that I've been really chipping away at. And I'm I'm so excited to go back into that into that world of, of writing and researching, you know, when you're in that, when you're in it for years and you're antisocial and it's all you're thinking about, you're like, God, I can't wait till this freaking book's over. I can go out on the road. And then once you've been out on the road for a year, you're like, God, I can't wait to go back into my office and not talk to anyone. So um, that's, uh, that's what I'm going to be doing. But it's, I love continuing to explore these breathing i'm still very much in this world and as you can tell even though i've done quite a few of these i get really pumped up every time i talk about this yeah. so but there will come a time when i'm not and that's when <laughs> i won't do these anymore but for now it, it still gets me excited yeah well i'm glad i'm glad i got to you just before it gets it gets all too boring for you <laughs> it's off, off the cliff yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'll be next week i'm sure yeah. Well, yeah, no, thank, thank you so much, um, James. Where, where can people find more information about this? Because I'm sure with, with the book, people will know where to get that. Buy it wherever you want. No one cares where you buy it, guys. It's called Breath. It's by James Nestor. But where can people find you and more information from what, what you do? Well, I have a snappy new website after being so derided by those social media people for having a website from like, look like it was from 1997. So you can see this new website, everybody at Mr. James Nestor. That's MR, some jerk to jamesnestor.com. So mrjamesnestor.com. And all of what we've talked about, including videos, interviews with breathing experts, uh, breathing exercises, all the scientific references, all available uh, for free. I'm not selling anything here. Uh, there's no paywalls. You can see it on the website and see for yourself. Oh, man, you're a legend. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I've been trying to breathe through my nose now for the last three or four weeks. I can't quite say that I'm very, very good at it, but I can't say that I'm very, very bad at it either. I'm getting better and I'm improving. I haven't taped my mouth so much overnight because I just keep forgetting, but I have bought some tape to do so. So I've got good intentions. That is probably one thing that's quite important to remember here. It was scary to know like all these health sort of and well-being trip-ups that we have with our breath, but these things take time. If you are interested in breath work that me and uh, James are talking about on this, my friend Jamie Clements does breath work and he's been on the podcast twice, so just search for Jamie Clements on Need to Read and you'll find him and you'll find all the information about the stuff that he does. His breath work is good. I've done quite a few sessions with him and I've enjoyed it. If you want to support the podcast, please check out the description of this episode. If you want to send me an email, of course you can. If you want to sign up to the email list, that is more than okay. But most importantly, just have a good day. 